You're listening to Some Pulp on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net backward slash support. Welcome to episode nine of Some Pulp. I'm your host, Bruce Edwards, uh, and in this episode, uh, we're going to focus on the experience of comic books and the field of comics as uh, I experienced it in the 1950s and early 1960s as uh, really a precocious young young lad and uh, somebody who had full access to the, the comics world through my indulgent parents and uh, grandparents. And uh, I thought we might just take a, a walk around my neighborhood and the places in which we could uh, purchase comics, enjoy comics, and what are the associations with uh, the idea of, of reading and collecting comics and understanding the world, or uh, as we now say, the multiverses to which uh, uh, comics introduced us. And of course, I will begin with the general observation that it was a walking world. Uh, we were we were itinerant. We were we were people who uh, who walked downtown to shop or go to a restaurant. Uh, in in my neighborhood, around the corner, maybe two blocks, two and a half blocks uh, off of my street in uh, kind of central Akron, Ohio. Uh, we could we could walk to a uh, an old fashioned drugstore or soda shop that had a, a full bar and a soda fountain, just like you see in in some of the uh, more traditional forties and fifties movies, maybe the Andy Hardy movies that had uh, Mickey Rooney uh, starring in them, uh, occasionally with Judy Garland, uh, where you could walk in and and ask for a uh, a malt. You would have a choice of vanilla, strawberry. Or chocolate and nothing too fancy, no blizzards. Dairy Queen, uh, though I think in existence in my time, was still uh, the novelty of the uh, ice cream cone that was uh, filled with uh, basically vanilla ice cream and maybe some sprinkles. The idea of a uh, a drugstore of of my era, you know, mid to late fifties and early sixties, having a machine that would dispense pre packaged uh, ice cream in some form of liquid that was packaged in a plant somewhere that you, you you weren't sure the origins of was considered ridiculous because true ice cream comes from a scoop in a refrigerated stand beneath the uh, soda fountain bar and uh, sometimes, but uh, unless you were a good old uh, Mr. Davis, the uh, uh, probably to me, ancient-looking person who's probably no no older than fifty years old, wearing a cap or a maybe a baseball cap, uh, and as some soda fountain uh, personnel were considered the soda fountain jerks, they did wear one of these paper paper hats. But uh, Mr. Davis was was a mature young, m- mature old fellow uh, who had this uh, special secret. Uh, for young kids like me, and that is that he got a full shipment of DC Comics on the dot every Tuesday afternoon. And after school, uh, and maybe after my mom got home, but occasionally just walking with my grandmother, we would take that three-block trip, and uh, there they were, the, the, the latest comics. 
and they would come in reliably every Tuesday. And uh, on Tuesday afternoons, I would race home from school, again, a, a elementary school that serviced our, our neighborhood, our area. And so I could walk there uh, and I could walk home and then my grandma and, and I could, uh, could walk, walk to Davis's drugstore. They were on a, uh, a comic stand, a, a turn, kind of a turntable, uh, uh, taller than I was, which when the Davis drugstore later went out of business, I, uh, prevailed upon my, my dad and mom to attend the sale of, uh, furniture items that they were getting rid of. And, and one of those was, uh, a comic book rack. And, uh, I had that in our, uh, our basement, uh, for many a year before I went off to school, uh, to college. And uh, the, the magical quality of Mr. Davis's world, I, I can't even begin to express because it really did uh, uh, open a, a, a world, not so much of fantasy in the way we consider it these days with uh, you know, witches and warlocks and, uh, and wardrobes, as in Narnia. Uh, this, this was the superhero world, the world of... Uh, origin stories I'd like to comment on a little bit uh, later. But but this world, which was walkable and, uh, and reachable, uh, and, and on your calendar on a certain day of the week, you would know you would be uh, ushered into the world of, of delight and, and stories that still resonate uh, with you, uh, as they do, do in me. And uh, I'll uh, recount some of those. But... Uh, I want to back up and say that uh, this wasn't always so, and, and children my age would not necessarily have had uh, access to comic books uh, much earlier in the in the decade of the 50s, because in 1954, uh, the, the Senate of the United States convened a hearing and uh, in, in, drew upon testimonies uh, and witnesses uh, on the... the issue of whether comic books caused juvenile delinquency. Uh, and as far-fetched as it seems uh, to us today, uh, you know, given the, the stakes of, of uh, the entertainment industry and, and uh, you know, the cataloging and, and, and uh, uh, rating of, of entertainment, uh, whether books or movies or TV, uh, in terms of G-rated, PG-rated, PG-13-rated, R-rated, X-rated, uh, there was no such comics code. There was there was nothing that would prevent a comics book uh, publisher, writer, uh, artist from from drawing very grotesque and very lurid kinds of comics that uh, could have been uh, available to uh, to uh, kids my age from from six on up. Uh, and so they, the, the, the Senate, uh, which perhaps didn't think it had anything better to do with their time, uh, I guess if they weren't fighting the, uh, the delinquency caused by comic books, they were also fighting with uh, Joe McCarthy and his campaign uh, against communism in America. And I'm sure if I were uh, more industrious, I could find uh, some link to communism from the uh, comics code that was uh, then absent uh, because uh, nearly anything that represented a breakdown in American culture and society and propriety could be linked to uh, communism. 
And for all I know, it was. But uh, I had no idea of anything called communism uh, or a, a Cold War or anything like that. Um, I just knew that uh, on Tuesdays in Davis's drugstore, I could get the latest detective comics or the uh, the new Green Lantern or uh, later on in the 60s when uh, when Marvel uh, had its uh, second birth and, and had its distinctive storytelling uh, style and uh, culture, uh, I could get the new Spider-Man. The juvenile delinquency trial uh, lasted, uh, I think, a week of testimonies of publishers and, and artists uh, on both sides of the question. Uh, I'm sure in some cases there were church leaders and community leaders and uh, upstanding citizens of all sorts who were uh, campaigning against the free av- uh, availability of uh, comics. But out of it, the, the aftermath of it was was not so much censorship, although I guess you could argue that that, that there was censorship. What was uh, agreeing to something called the Comics Code Authority, the the uh, CCA, which set guidelines for the kinds of stories that could be told, for the kinds of illustrations that could be sold to children, and uh, and available uh, in. Households, uh, you know, if there is an older adult or a, an older adolescent who might have access, you know, there may be uh, stories about how little Johnny has been led astray by an older brother uh, who learned about crime and uh, and the idea of a, of a dishonest life from uh, comic books. Because a great number of comic books in the earliest uh, of the of the annals of the 50s uh, were kind of true crime stories told in comic book form, uh, along with romance-type stories uh, of uh, young women and young men uh, led to believe that uh, if you were 14 or 15 in love, that uh, uh, you were just as much an adult and, and could lead the adult life uh, that's been promised in those comic books, uh, uh, lurid uh, tales I, I mentioned, or I called them. This comics code, uh, I think, increases uh, two things. Uh, first of all, uh, the comic book of superheroes, who were uh, good Americans and, uh, and or Kryptonians, uh, or from other worlds that came to become good citizens and good Americans, and uh, their... Uh, uh, ex- escapades and adventures uh, bespoke that uh, patriotism and that desire to uh, to be upstanding citizens, so they could lead uh, young uh, boys and young girls. Although I suspect uh, a majority of uh, early readers of comics in that age of superheroes, uh, since there's so few uh, female superheroes, uh, namely Wonder Woman, um, they're, they're probably more. Uh, boy readers than girl readers at the time. Uh, but the second thing that the Comics Code Authority, I think, uh, ushered in was a was a series of comic books that were primarily simply considered light, joke-driven, episodic tales of people like Sad Sack, who was this army recruit who's always getting into trouble or making mistakes, cute and, and uh, impish sort of characters like uh, little Dot, who always wore polka dots and was getting in and out of trouble or perhaps proving the, the superior wisdom of children over their adult parents and so forth. Uh, but they would get involved in you know, strangely, uh, I think, melancholy tales of uh, getting into trouble, getting out of trouble, 
and and yet somehow saving saving the day by the end of the uh, the tale. Uh, in addition to those, I group in this category were uh, classics illustrated comics, which were comic versions of uh, grand works of literature. Uh, and so, uh, The Three Musketeers, The uh, Tale of Two Cities, I remember primarily the covers of, of those tales. They, they did, did a good service of, uh, of teaching children that there were, uh, books and stories beyond those that could be told in comics and, and were kind of a gateway to, to these, uh, actual, we might say, authentic books and tales, uh, that would come later. Uh, me, I preferred the comic book versions. Um, I, uh, I remember specifically thinking, uh, being asked to, uh, write a book report of great expectations and counting the, uh, the classics illustrated version, um, superior to the one by Charles Dickens, which looked to me like a very long and very thick book, uh, using, um, dialogue and, and, uh, story situations that were, uh, not just, Foreign to me, literally, but uh, but told in in a, in a manner that uh, uh, could not sustain my my interest. And one could argue that that the reason that they they couldn't sustain my interest was simply because uh, I was bred on comic books with uh, uh, you know maybe thirty six well inked pages and uh, narration and dialogue that uh, drove the story uh, very quickly and. Uh, and sort of you know emptied out the themes and, and the and the content in in a very quick and uh, uh, sturdy way that really a, a book of six hundred pages could not and w- w- was daunting and I think to this day not proud of this of course I, I don't think I have ever read a tale of two cities or great expectations but I could probably recount the actual plot and uh, main characters of of them. Nevertheless, back in Mr. Davis's one one treat was was buying the comics for that day, maybe three or four, and they're only ten cents, and uh, and and sitting on a stool and at the soda fountain, and uh, reading one or more of those while I sipped a milkshake or ate a sundae or got a grilled cheese, which was also available. I mean, what what more could a child want? Uh, I began to uh, realize on these uh, weekly visits that you could do something called collecting comics. And I began a very uh, short stack, which eventually grew into uh, quite a, uh, a large stack of uh, comics right there on my, uh, uh, on my dresser or crook inside the bedpost uh, where I could stack them. It was like a little bookshelf. And uh, I began to alphabetize them, and so I can remember uh, adventure comics being at the top, Batman following, certainly detective comics is in there somewhere, all the way down to S for Superman and Superboy. You know, all, all, all the way through, you can tell that I'm mainly naming DC Comics. That was because until, I think, 1960, 61, uh, there was uh, no rival, certainly no... Uh, a formidable rival of uh, of comic bookdom uh, from Marvel, uh, which uh, w- was yet to be reborn, and uh, so it, it kind of sets up my 
comic book universe as populated primarily by DC characters. And so I'm, I'm talking about Superman, Batman, um, I mentioned Wonder Woman. Uh, most importantly to me, um, as much as I enjoyed uh, Batman and Superman and, and uh, uh, stories about uh, Gotham City and Metropolis and the Daily Planet and their uh, stock characters and plots uh, and you know occasional uh, the gauntlet thrown down from you know, Kryptonians who escaped the uh, exploding planet. Uh, uh, you know, were, were somehow uh, miraculously saved or salvaged, probably because they'd been been placed in the the, the Phantom Zone, which is where criminals in in the more uh, uh, sophisticated and uh, uh, benevolent society of uh, of uh, Krypton and its cities uh, were were sent uh, rather than kept in prison or executed in some point. Um, you know, there were those kinds of uh, of villains, including some earthbound ones, uh, and who are just clever scientific sorts like uh, Lex Luthor, famous uh, uh, Superman villain. Uh, but as soon as I was aware that there was such a character, I latched onto Green Lantern, uh, who remains uh, for me my most favorite uh, and uh, I, I think uh, ingenious uh, character of the DC universe. And I may say a bit more about Hal Jordan, the the valiant test pilot uh, who uh, is enabled to become uh, a, a Green Lantern, which is a which is a title, which is which is like Caesar or or uh, the benevolent uh, overseer of Earth, as opposed to Mercury or uh, Xanadu or some other faraway uh, distant planet. Uh, all focused on the fact that, uh, that Green Lantern would have a ring, of uh, a green ring of power that enabled him to create objects out of the light, uh, you know, large uh, saws if he needed to to break up uh, something thrown at him, or uh, a a spaceship to in, enrich him or enlarge in, in upon him to get him through a, an oxygenless environment. Um, it really was was not uh, restricted by uh, anything uh, in the imagination of that planet's Green Lantern, except for the curious thing that for some reason Green Lantern's power could not overturn something yellow, uh, which was you know uh, odd when one wished to think about such things. But I, I thought it was marvelous that Superman had his kryptonite and Green Lantern. Uh, had his um, his yellow that uh, uh, he he could not uh, fight against, and so he had to be ingenious and find some other way to to handle it. Uh, what I liked about DC and what I came to to regard as the distinctive style or the house style of uh, of DC uh, artists uh, was its sharp and stylized. Uh, and piercingly particularized uh, art of whether a hero or villain, um, whether it's the the Daily Planet office or or, or Green Lantern's uh, test plane site, uh, it was sharply drawn, uh, as opposed to a more muted uh, and uh, 
hyper-realized or, or exaggerated realism that uh, an, an artist like Jack Kirby brought to the, uh, the original Marvel Universe. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that as well as, as we move along. But um, I, I really began to think of this artistic style of DC uh, as what comic books uh, were. It, it defined the, uh, the the kind of storytelling, and and so uh, you know, DC becomes the baseline for me, the the touchstone for real comics and real uh, adventure and and and, and writing. Uh, you know, by contrast, you had the Archie comics, uh, which are basically cartoons. Uh, nothing wrong with that, and you know I learned what it would be like to go to high school by by reading the stories of Riverdale High and Betty and Veronica and uh, the Cad Reggie uh, and then the uh, you know sort of delinquent uh, but secretly very smart character of, of Jughead. You know I I knew what that universe was like and I knew that that was uh, where to go for uh, some low level humor. Uh, but for adventure and excitement and uh, and really superhero adventure type writing, uh, that was defined by by DC. And you know, in, in this time period, uh, for me, I wasn't interested in a, in a hero with uh, with my problems. Um, I didn't care if Peter Parker, uh, bitten by a radioactive spider, uh, got pimples. Uh, or had trouble with his girlfriend, or um, uh, had tr- troubles at home because he was being raised by his aunt. Uh, those were legitimate, and, and I enjoyed uh, reading the Spider-Man tales, and I realized it was, it was a different universe, uh, but it, it wasn't particularly appealing to me. That, that's not a real comic book. Uh, that's, that's getting too close to an everyday world that I could read about in the newspaper. Um, which I also read voraciously over this period, uh, as I did primarily because uh, of the desire to find uh, a baseball story and a box score, and and tended to think of um, uh, newspapers and comic books as as holding the universe in their hands. One day to day baseball, the quotidian universe of baseball, because there's always a baseball game to be reported on, and the comics which um, you would always read over and over again because they were, uh, not because uh, they were surprising each time, but because the richness of the color and uh, the, the, the spectrum of characters and the, the, the kind of heroism that uh, they, you know, I mean, Superman was invulnerable, and unless there was a, a bad guy with a, a you know, a, a arm load of, kryptonite um it didn't take much for him to be a a hero i understood the paradox of that uh but he was always very selfless uh and you never knew uh superman may encounter something that uh just because he was from krypton uh didn't mean that he he would always survive he's not immortal um and so i i read each superman action comics um Smallville edition of the story, which perhaps is is quite repetitious uh, in in Mike Lance backwards, 
it nevertheless was still still thrilling to me. Uh, and uh, as I've said in other broadcasts, uh, you know, I, I I learned or inferred or made analogies to these worlds, no matter how fantastic or or ridiculous or uh, untenable they may be. I, I I made the bridge to what might be uh, learning how men and women court and then marry and have children of their own. Maybe Ma and Pa Kent uh, were uh, heroes because, you know, they raised Clark Kent, their their little boy, Kal-El, um, from Krypton, and uh, taught me something about self-sacrifice of parents and uh, teaching them the, uh, the the good life and, and, and the life of virtue. Uh, and you know, that wasn't the only place I was getting it, but, but my mom and dad and, and I were not churchgoers at an early age. Uh, I, I'm the one of the early age, and my parents were still quite young. And although we later became a family of Christians, that was not what was driving my sense of goodness or virtue or heroism. It, it was uh, essentially DC Comics. Um, I had my my share of Dell comics, which were were sort of part of the Disney world, and and so uh, Uncle Scrooge comics, uh, uh, Richie Rich comics, um, Donald Duck comics, uh, th- those were all favorites of of mine at the earliest stages. But once I kind of got into the DC world, that that was. Uh, that was all for me. That's that's where I wanted to put my my time and my uh, uh, spare change. And so, to me, it was a great time to be a, a fan of comic books. And uh, if you know you had given me a, a crystal ball of some sort that showed me uh, a future uh, civilization uh, that would uh, make uh, la- large scale movies. Uh, of my heroes, uh, and, uh, you know, TV shows, and, uh, and comics that were bound together in hardback, like, like real books were, uh, I would have been dazzled, um, and, uh, would have wanted to get to that, uh, age bracket as soon as I could, but I got there in plenty of time, and, uh, you know, I, I ended up being able to, uh, with my with my grandfather Cleaver's help, uh, subscribe, uh, which which took a little of the excitement out of the the weekly trip to Davis's drugstore, but uh, getting the comics through the mail uh, on a subscription basis and getting them once or twice a week because my my grandfather was very uh, indulgent of my interests and so I may have had 25 to 30 uh, subscriptions of uh, of basically DC comics from uh, World's Finest which was always a pairing of Superman with Batman in some adventure Brave and the Bold which was sort of like uh, showcase comics uh, a, uh, a a place to try out characters and heroes. Um, you know, one one of my my favorites was Metal Men, which were basically robots of made out of of various uh, 
uh, elements of the periodic table uh, who uh, who represented a different power or skill or uh, a, a heroic nature that uh, I just just couldn't wait. And so uh, the the downside of these comics for those who subscribed was that they weren't mailed flat; they were folded in half, and so. The value of collecting, uh, we, we didn't realize at the time, uh, was diminished at least that much by, by not having a, a, a complete, flat, uh, preserved condition for, for the comics I was collecting. And, and uh, you know, they, were, they were fine to read and, and so forth, but they were you know, basically folded in half. Uh, let, me, let me talk a bit about the coming of Marvel and how that altered my own sense of uh, what I thought was the, the, the prevalent and predominant DC comic world because I, I like the artistry, I like the storytelling style, and I like the fact that, uh, you know, uh, the, the heroes uh, were authentically heroes um, and didn't have problems, uh, didn't have, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Peter Parker's problem, or uh, they weren't Bruce Banner, although I came to enjoy the Bruce Banner uh, Incredible Hulk. Um, you know, the, the fact that he was kind of a Jekyll and Hyde character, that was interesting to me, but again, I, I didn't feel like I was reading uh, a, a true comic. This was a gimmick of some sort. Uh, and so the, the, the radioactive spiders... Uh, the the Ant Man who whose movie I I do look forward to seeing soon. Um, his I'm not even sure what his origin story was. Um, <clears throat> I know it began uh, as a single story in a uh, a uh, anthology type uh, magazine that uh, uh, comic book that uh, Marvel produced. Uh, Amazing stories, perhaps. Uh, which was also the, the the breeding ground for Thor and uh, Spider-Man, um, and Amazing Fantasy was another title. I may have miscalled the the earlier one. Um, Amazing Stories, I think, is the, the Spielberg nineteen 1980s TV show on NBC. Uh, but the the, the earliest uh, Iron Man tales uh, were about. Uh, uh, you know, obviously Tony Stark, with with his walking iron lung uh, appearance, uh, basically because he had a bad heart, uh, and then the you know the later increasingly slimmed down versions of Iron Man that uh, uh, you can still collect today as uh, action figures. Um, it, it was still more fantasy uh, than superhero. Um, but all that kind of merges after a while, and then it becomes a, a rivalry between DC and, and Marvel. And, and Stan Lee, you know, becomes a, a spokesperson uh, for a, a whole comic book universe. And you know, I couldn't tell you to this day anybody who was Stan Lee's counterpart uh, at DC. They they were more anonymous. And although you know some of their storytellers and and artists eventually became famous and and. Uh, you know, be, you know, became uh, Im- important collector um, items themselves as as the artists of certain comic book lines like Flash and and uh, uh, others. Uh, they were no near uh, the, the reaching the fame of, of Stan Lee and, and his stable of 
of, of characters like uh, Jack Kirby and their writers. We were in a, a suburb of Akron called uh, Cuyahoga Falls, a town that had special shops. And so if you went to Cuyahoga Falls, you could go to you know a special record store or a special um, drugstore that specialized uh, in uh, the latest comics and newest comics in a different way than the old Davis Davis Drugstore did, at least in my childhood mind. Um, and they were the first place I ever saw uh, a Marvel comic. And the first Marvel comic I, I purchased, or I should say my parents purchased, um, and, and it was in, a, in, a, in this specialized store, mainly a drugstore, but also with special uh, comic book uh, uh, availability, was right next to uh, the downtown theater, uh, uh, where where you could go and, and see movies that uh, maybe weren't available in, in Akron. Um, but I remember going to a movie, but we had a few minutes to kill, and I remember going into the store and finding Fantastic Four. And, uh, you know, the saga of uh, Reed Richards, uh, Mr. Fantastic, who could, who could stretch, uh, and uh, Invisible Girl. Uh, who who became or perhaps was already uh, his his wife, and she could uh, disappear and and uh, defy uh, uh, otherworldly characters who would appear, and uh, Johnny Storm, uh, the Human Torch, and uh, of course uh, my uh, uh, pity and uh, and sometimes uh, sadness bestowed upon Ben Grimm, The Thing, uh, which is a, <laughs> a strange way to name a, uh, a hero, uh, who, uh, w- when he is himself, when he's uh, in human form, and not like The, the, the Thing, he's, he's quite a handsome uh, a, and uh, muscle-bound sort of guy, but when he has his rock formation body, um, he's very powerful, uh, and uh, in, in inviting our, our pity and our uh, c- concern, but knowing that uh, as one of the Fantastic Four, he can uh, he can be a uh, a tremendous hero uh, in in saving uh, cities and towns and the whole planet at times from uh, from destruction, and so that began to turn me a little bit toward the the fantasy superhero and and you, you may be thinking well that's kind of an arbitrary distinction uh, you know isn't green lantern a fantasy hero yes and no because to me you know by then i was i was part of the the dc universe in which there were, were certain logical reasons for um superheroes you know, Barry Allen, the Flash, uh, uh, is is injured uh, in a, uh, a a burst of of lightning in his chemical lab, and uh, makes him super fast. And you know, the physics of that, I've, I've never tried to uh, to figure out. I just accepted it. Uh, but uh, for some reason, the it, it didn't seem like fantasy to me. It seemed more. Uh, like the result of scientific progress or progress perhaps uh, by mistake. 
but the the uh, the, the Marvel world was much more fanciful. You know, of course, you know, using the the uh, uh, Norse gods as as a, a kind of uh, storehouse for characters. You know, that that was you know to me original. I, you know, I, I realized that uh, writers I came to love for uh, for other reasons, like C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, were using the Norse stories as well uh, to populate their universes and their uh, characterization of what aliens uh, might be like. And as aliens, they may not be uh, evil naturally. Um, and you know, obviously, if if you love the the mythopoeic, the the mythic worlds. Uh, that Asgard and uh, uh, other uh, locations uh, in the in the Norse mythology universe, um, you know, there, there's all sorts of possibilities. But I was oblivious to that at the time, and that just seemed somehow contrived to me. Uh, let's let's talk a bit about uh, TV comics, and uh, you know. In the fifties, you had the the, the Superman uh, weekly uh, series. Um, I'm, I think they made about forty five or fifty of those uh, of half hours, maybe with some from uh, from special uh, scripts. They, they might have had an hour long special here and there, uh, and of course the the famous George Reeves. Well, the TV series comes out of the. Uh, uh, Superman serials, uh, which also included Batman serials that appeared on Saturday mornings in movie theaters in the in the 1940s, and uh, you know I've sampled some of those, and uh, I remember uh, attending um, a kind of a marathon of uh, uh, the uh, Superman serials of that era. Maybe saw seven or eight of them back to back to back uh, on a Saturday afternoon. Um, when I when I came back to visit my parents in Akron, Ohio, and and uh, was amused by it. it was what was called campy uh, or or made out of camp, you know, exaggerated villains, exaggerated heroism. Um, uh, you know, e- even the costuming may be a little you know uh, over the top in terms of of indicating the heroism or the villainy uh, of the of the particular uh, characters. Uh, and uh, m- much of that was was stripped away. N- not that the, the special effects were were all that great anyway. But in the television show, the, the focus was on plot and Superman uh, being not only super strong. You know, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Um, he also outwitted uh, fairly ordinary criminals. And I can't remember. Uh, I don't. I don't think uh, you know villains like Lex Luthor, Brainiac. Marauders or, or invaders uh, who who somehow escaped the destruction of Krypton. Uh, I don't I don't think those were part of the TV series, and and so uh, it, it left it to uh, later developments in the seventies and eighties uh, in both uh, uh, TV and in Hollywood productions for for films to to explore that part of it. Uh, the the one that stands out that most people think of and, and now can can buy the full uh, run of episodes was uh, Batman, which also featured Robin, uh, and you know it is the epitome of uh, of camp of of exaggerated uh, plots and dialogue and um, 
uh, and the villains. And, and there was there was a kind of competition in Hollywood during this short run. Uh, I think no more than than uh, two and a half years of it. Uh, uh, there was a competition to get to be this week's villain. And so the Penguin, the Riddler, Mr. Freeze, Catwoman, these were, were all popular roles to, to, to play in, in, in some of the greatest character actors of Hollywood. Burgess Meredith, who played the, um, um, the Penguin, and uh, uh, you know, the great Riddler character developed... Uh, by uh, uh, a great comedian and impersonationist, Frank Gorshin, uh, who who you know, played the role of the, of the Riddler, and uh, you know, un- unlike the series, I preferred uh, as a uh, pre-adolescent of a, of a serious Alfred and a serious Batman and Robin and Bruce Wayne, and of course, I was looking for Bruce Wayne that was. Uh, of, of substance of, and wit, because you know he had my name Bruce and my father's name, and I wanted that character to to be representative of of us. Uh, instead, it was it was more silly. Although the earliest episodes, the first three to five ones I watched, I was completely enthralled by and wondering how they're going to do this and that. Uh, and and of course they they did the kapow and and uh, uh, other. Uh, v- visual uh, onomatopoeia, uh, biff and, you know, pow and, and that sort of stuff that were literally, you know, words on, in, in, on the screen. And, um, you know, again, that, that was kind of fun uh, for the first uh, half season. And then it just became tiresome and, and, and uh, you know, folded in on itself so that uh, each week and the cliffhanger for each week uh, – you know, represented more and more ridiculous uh, uh, resolutions, and uh, you know, usually involved uh, Batman or Robin or both. You know, tied up and and either uh, drowning um, at a certain point, or or a, a stick of dynamite was going to go up, or you know, uh, the, the sorts of of things that uh, later MacGyver, uh, you know, literally the MacGyver, uh, and then the uh, the, the character on Saturday Night Live, uh, MacGruber, that uh, you know is parodied and so forth. That that's all part of of that era of TV. Uh, we talk a bit about some values and some specifics of of reading comics that uh, it occurs to me to, to talk about. Let's let's take first of all the the phenomenon of origin stories. Um, I, I like the fact that superheroes had an origin story. Uh, you know, and even if Batman is not a superhero, uh, you know, his story of uh, being witnesses to his parents' murder, um, you know, as extreme as that is, uh, it, it taught me that that everybody, high or low, has an origin story. How did they get here? Who were who were my parents? Uh, What's their story? What what was the you know their grandparents' story? We, we're situated in a world in which we didn't get here of our own accord, and the idea that there there could be something special, there could be something unique, that that I'm not an accident, and that who I've become and who I might be 
can be shaped by learning more about this. And, and I love that notion. And, and I remember specifically uh, being uh, disappointed that my copy of Secret Origins, which was a, uh, you know, a blockbuster 80-page giant edition, which retold uh, a number of the, uh, the the DC heroes I loved, retold their, their, their origin story. And, and so, so here was a whole volume uh, of, of Secret Origins. And it, it taught me something about valuing uh, my story and other people's story, and that you know, not that I thought you know there was there was some secret occultic version of the story that I would someday learn about, but just the idea that that I had a story was important. I like the fact that that comic books were told serially, uh, both in, in terms of issue by issue, um, and they were connected. Um, and also that in, in the terms of the panels, large, small, uh, they could be any shape or size within a given comic book. Uh, I, I liked the, the fact that I was being given visual uh, storytelling cues uh, and, and how that led me to understand a bit more about you know, how films and TV worked. You know, you know comic books were, were nothing other than... Uh, uh, storyboards that contained the action, the dialogue, and the narration, the, the uh, uh, unseen third-person narrator who was going to, to, to tell me this story, um, most of which were omniscient narrators. But then when, when Marvel comes along, that sort of gets uh, overturned. And so any given uh, Marvel hero, his or her story might be told um by a friend or by the character himself as as you move through the the story but i but I liked being taught something about telling a story uh in visualizing the story and understanding um the the uh the the role of of the verbal story in connection to the visual story and uh much of that was inferred i i never you know, it took a pop culture course to, to learn any of this, but I intuited a lot, and, and I enjoyed learning it. Um, I enjoyed the phenomenon of imaginary stories, which is, which is a, a break from the tradition. And, you know, you, you read Superman, and, uh, you know, he has a new exploit every week, or he's saved Lois Lane, you know, a thousand times, or he's helped Jimmy Olsen become a better reporter, uh, he's listened to the diatribes of, of Perry White, the, the uh, curmudgeonly editor that he serves as Clark Kent. Then there was this phenomenon of imaginary story. And uh, as I recall, Superman issue 100 was called The Death of Superman. Now, Superman was not going to die. He had not, in fact, died. But this was a what-if story. It's what C.S. Lewis called in describing uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, a a supposal. What if God became incarnate as a lion and entered the realm of Narnia? That that was his test case. Uh, Kal-El, what if a planet called Krypton was going to uh, deteriorate to the point that it was going to explode 
and Jorel, his father, loved him enough to give him up and send him on an intergalactic mission uh, in a spaceship when he's nothing but a baby, and he sends him to to planet Earth. Uh, you know, there there is the distinctive story, and that's the storyline. But what if in issue one hundred you get a different kind of approach, just for fun, just to to illustrate? the kind of uh, imaginative leap. And, and I love that. It, it, you know, Superman wasn't going to die. I'm not going to lose him as one of my favorite uh, heroes. But the pretend, the supposal that C.S. Lewis talks about in Narnia, this, this is a, a, a great uh, pause in the action. And I could, you know, at that time, spoiler, uh, Supergirl... Uh, and her identity is not known by the everyday world. And so at the very end of the funeral of Superman and all of the sadness and tears of the world, um, she is gloriously revealed at the very end. And I love that story. Um, and in, in the reason um, that Supergirl is sort of kept hidden or, or kept uh, a secret uh, was just for this very reason that she could take on the uh, the, the story of uh, of saving Earth uh, from another perspective and another superhero, uh, and uh, that 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 was great. The, the other kinds of stories were were things like um, Mr. Mixias Pitalek. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or ever heard his name pronounced, uh, but in some ways he is. Um, a kind of Marvel hero. He's kind of a, a more benevolent uh, and less threatening Loki figure. Uh, but Mr. Mixes Pitalek, uh, his last name is spelled M-X-Y-Z-P-T-L-K. And he's an imp from somewhere. He shows up in Superman's world to to be impish, to, to, uh, to be uh, a, a crazy, loony kind of addition to a story or plot. Uh, and he, he, he can perform magic tricks and transformation and transfiguration of himself and, uh, and others. Uh, you know, he could turn, you know, Jimmy Olsen into a monkey. Um, and, and the thing about getting Mr. Mixias Pitalek to, to, to leave is you have to, strange as this sounds, trick him into saying his name Backwards, and uh, I haven't successfully remembered uh, what what his name uh, uttered backwards is, and I won't try on this podcast. But uh, here was the the imaginariness of this world, and uh, I, I enjoyed the freedom to occasionally divert, to, you know, divert from that line of uh, of inquiry in this world. Well, by the end of uh, of my teens, I uh, occasionally occasionally purchased uh, a comic book, particularly Green Lantern, because I, I cared about where his universe was going, and it expanded greatly over the years. And even to this point now, um, you know, there have been multiple uh, Green Lanterns of Earth. Um, 
and you know Hal Jordan is is the is the oldest version I know of, and of course he has been the the initial uh, Hal Jordan has been the initial Green Lantern of moviedom and and uh, cartoons. You know, uh, often played uh, by uh, Nathan Fillion, and I, I enjoy his Green Lantern. Uh, but but the rest of of the of the Green Lantern universe, I haven't been able to keep up on, and and you know someday I may sit down and, and try to fathom it all. But um, I I have enjoyed keeping up on that. But uh, you know uh, you know my my interest now is uh, driven if 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 it exists at all by the adult narratives of superheroes uh, and uh, you know fantastic. Um, virtuous uh, heroes uh, like Mal Reynolds played in Serenity, which was once a, a live-action movie and once Firefly, a, a live-action uh, TV series, uh, but but now live on in, in comic book versions. And I've been um, collecting uh, Serenity uh, comics. And, you know, they're, they're both uh, uh, pre-events, Covered and individual characters from the Serenity universe covered in in uh, alternate stories, both before the, the the Firefly series and after and after the movie. So so they they all kind of give me some pleasure, and it is a you know, joyful experience for me to um, read more. Of the of the of the tales and narratives of these characters who appeared in a movie or who appeared in a uh, a TV series uh, or whom I met in an earlier version uh, in a comic book and I am now coming back to as an adult. Those are all uh, pleasurable experiences to me. Um, one real world tale that I like to tell is that you know my collection of comics. Um, their physical, enduring uh, existence. Uh, I, I could have, uh, have uh, you know, kept better care of them. And uh, you know, when, when I went off to college, and eventually when I when I got married, and and went off to grad school, and so forth, you know, they they remain in the possession of my parents, who uh, kept them from uh, you know water damage and other things. But uh, you know, I, I didn't think about. I didn't. I guess I didn't care enough, and I should have cared more. I didn't take care of them in the in the way that modern comics are treasured and put in plastic bags and sealed and and you know kept it at uh, room temperature and away from the sun and all all those sorts of things. Um, but I did keep uh, treasured issues uh, of you know the original. Uh, Spider-Mans and and uh, you know Fantastic Fours and uh, Iron Mans and and so on and so forth and uh, you know they they were not in mint condition but they were in fair condition and when it came time uh, for us to put a down payment on a house uh, with a growing family and so forth uh, I found that. Um, they they had a taker, and I probably could have bargained for more if I knew more about the value of, of uh, uh, Golden Age and Silver Age comics. I would have known better. And there was no, you know, it was not an eBay world at that time. I was I was not on the internet at that time, which, you know, it wasn't part of my actual world. And uh, nevertheless, 
that sale of those uh, treasured comic books uh, virtually paid for our down payment. And, uh, you know, I think it was a buyer in uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, as I recall. And uh, we had spent a couple of days uh, putting them in plastic bags and so on and so forth. And we got there, he said, I'll take them out of those bags and I can look at them better. And so, you know, I, I went home with uh, a bunch of bags that I couldn't use anymore and didn't have any place for. So, uh, that that's the story of uh, the 50s and 60s and my reminiscence of uh, discovering the world of comics and buying them at Mr. Davis's old uh, soda fountain shop and drugstore and uh, my exposure to film and TV and camp, the uh, delight I had in, in learning how to uh, read and enjoy stories you know, like everybody, I, I was not, uh, though I wasn't an artist, I, I did enjoy writing my own. I had my Atomic Man stories. I still have them. Um, they were one-page, single-spaced, uh, basically plot summaries of Atomic Man and uh, his origin story, obviously very important, and uh, his heroic and virtuous life. He lived within the space of, uh, I think I, I wrote as many as 30 issues. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode of Some Pulp. Hey, this is Mike Edwards from Sunrise Robot. I just want to thank you again for listening to Some Pulp, Episode 9. I just want to let you know you can head to sunriserobot.net slash sumpulp slash 9, and you can see show notes and links related to this episode. While you're there, if you're not already, you should subscribe so that you never miss a new episode. Finally, if you like what you're hearing, you can support Sunrise Robot and all the shows on the network by heading to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And depending on the level you support, you actually get your name mentioned on every episode of every show. So we want to give a special shout out to Andreas Lunga for being one of our prime sponsors. All right, we'll see you next time. <laughs>